Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. I want to make sure that I'm still growing my syndication portfolio because I see that that's definitely where the passive nature is maximized for both return and time invested. I still think that passive syndications are the way to go. That's coming right up. But first, I want to introduce TribeVest, our show sponsor. I have Travis Smith here, the founder and CEO. Travis, you know I'm a fan of your platform and I'm a member in four different tribes. In fact, I like the platform so much, I'm also an investor. Can you share some of the ways you think TribeVest can help build wealth for passive investors? Thanks, Jim. Well, as you know, we've built a platform that empowers people to easily and safely form investor tribes. If you're a part of an investor tribe, you can participate in deals that maybe you wouldn't or couldn't on your own. And I think that's why TribeVest is so popular amongst passive investors. Think about it. Deals start at 25000 but I've seen investment minimums as high as one hundred dollars or even $200,000. And I don't care who you are. Those are big checks to be writing as a solo investor. But as a tribe, each member can drastically lower their capital requirement and spread the risk on the deal. Or another way to look at it is where maybe as a solo investor, you might invest in one deal, but with your tribe, you could invest in five, maybe 10 deals. You can think of tribe investing as a wealth building experience with the people you know, like, and trust. If there are left fielders who are interested in learning more, please have them check out tribevest.com or reach out to me directly. Jim. We are thrilled to be a part of Passive Investing from Left Field and excited to listen to your interview with this week's guest. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. I'm happy today to have passive investor Ryan Steeg here with us. I met Ryan at a networking event in Arizona, and since then we had periodic calls just to have someone else to talk to about passive investing, someone who's in it and doing the same stuff I am. In the beginning, he says the uh, the purple book kind of got him hooked into real estate and got his start. And he currently owns a portfolio of one to three unit properties in five different markets. Most of those are turnkey properties. He's in more than 20 passive syndications in things like notes, mobile homes, life settlements, crypto, self-storage, multifamily, and, and more. I mean, he's in all of it. He's married with two boys who are heavy into sports, and one of them, as I say, was smart enough to be a Buckeye fan. Ryan is one of the co-founders of Left Field Investors. Ryan, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thanks, Jim. Kind of sounds like I'm all over the place, but I got a Buckeye fan in the family, so, so we're all square now, right? Exactly right. And you know, I'm all over the place too, and I know we've talked a lot about this, and we'll get into it a little bit, is 
the way we started out was shiny object syndrome, and now we've kind of found a focus and, and a design. So although it sounds like we're all over the place, we're, we're much more focused now than we, than we had been previously. So I, how I'd like to get started is if you could just talk about your journey, you know, how you got interested in real estate, what the path was, and then where you ended up, and then we can kind of dig into to some of the things you're into now. Yeah, I was fortunate to grow up with a dad who was a business owner and an entrepreneur from uh, my whole life. I didn't really uh, connect those dots when I was young, and uh, but I was able to make the link enough to believe that on career day in high school that I saw a financial planner as one of the options, and it sounded intriguing. It sounded close enough to to the field that my dad was in. And so I thought that's what I'm going to do. And I went to college uh, with pursuing a finance degree, thinking I was going to get into the investment space or financial planning to some degree. But as a sophomore in college, I picked up that little purple book that you referenced, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I read that book straight through as, as a sophomore again. And I thought I wanted to get into real estate. And after reading that book, I looked in the local newspaper down in Phoenix, and I found a real estate investor who was looking for some help. And I called him. We talked a little while on the phone, and he said, if you've read that book, you've got the right mindset, and, and you're the guy I want to work with. So kind of bird-dogged around with him for a year or so as just kind of a side gig, uh, learning, as, it, as they say, rather than earning. And uh, when I did that, I got a sense for what that industry could look like and what the future could kind of look like for me. But as all other things, I needed a real paycheck, and so I got into got into the real world and I got into the mortgage industry. And there, I was also blessed to have met a friend and colleague who kind of mentored me and and encouraged me to get into investing in real estate. And so my first investment was our own home, our first home. And I I like to or not like to think that uh, we bought that house on the day the market crashed in Phoenix back in uh, back in the back in the heyday. So it was a lesson learned the hard way, but it was a good lesson in that when my wife and I decided to move back to Montana, where we're from, we kept that house more more so out of necessity and uh, became accidental landlords. And when we did that, I I was fortunate enough to become tied to a property and a property manager who was a remote property manager, and the only relationship we ever had was over the phone and through email. Obviously, I wasn't there local anymore. And she gave me that comfort level of being able to work with a property manager remotely. Uh, we held that property for seven years. And over time, I became a little bit of losing touch with my real estate investments. And so I wasn't really involved in that. I had gone down the traditional route of having a job and a 401k and, and all those other things that we normally do thinking of conventional wisdom. And in 2015 or so, you know, being in the mortgage mortgage industry and having a financial background, I had more friends asking questions about what I was doing and what I was involved in. And it really got me to thinking that I wasn't doing anything that anybody else wasn't doing. And so I started to learn and get more involved again. And I got into that rabbit hole that leads us all into the internet and the podcasting world and, and all the different areas that that can take us down. And so I got involved with the fire movement and real estate investing and and all of those things, but I got connected with a podcast that introduced me to the concept of turnkey real estate investing. And I had learned through that that the property that I owned was not giving me the returns that a that a rental property should. And so we sold that property and 
and in combination with a home equity line of credit on our primary residence, we turned that into a couple other turnkey rental properties in Indianapolis and in Kansas City back in 2016, again, having referenced that comfort level that I gained with the property manager that I had down in Phoenix. So I was much more comfortable with it than I think most naturally would have been. And I remember going down that podcast rabbit hole being tied back to some of the concepts that Robert Kiyosaki introduced to me years and years ago in that Rich Dad Poor Dad book. And after we started buying some turnkeys, I remember having lunch with my wife one day and telling her about how many turnkeys we were going to need to buy to replace our income. And it hit me that that seemed fairly overwhelming after we were, we were a few into our portfolio and had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot that we were going to need to purchase. So it seemed a little bit overwhelming, but, uh, but attainable in the long term. So we rinsed and repeat, repeated that, uh, that concept over the next couple of years and bought a few more in, in 17 and 18 and 19. But I realized that there was a, through some discovery again in the podcasting world, that there was a, there was a more scalable option through real estate syndication. And one particular podcast that I listened to, I got connected with and introduced to my first uh, real estate syndicator. And I gained a comfort level and I was able to get involved in my first real estate syndication. Uh, and since then, I've, I've been kind of more turned toward real estate syndication as a scalable passive income growth model. And so in my connection there, I decided to go down to networking meetup and uh, join a community of of other network of other people who were going down the same path of syndication and and uh, with the goal of growing their passive income. And it was there after buying several turnkey properties and uh, and a few real estate syndications at that point that I first saw my first in person real estate investment. So all this time I had been investing and I had not seen any one of my actual physical investments at that point in time. Wow, that's great. <laughs> Coincidentally, uh, I met the guy at that meetup that I'm virtually sitting across the microphone from today. And uh, kind of uh, the rest is, is history as far as uh, my path to real estate syndication. And as you mentioned in the intro, it took quite a few varied paths in between uh, through the shiny object syndrome that each of us gets uh, gets pulled into, but that's that's how I ended up getting to real estate syndications. That's a great story, and you know there's a couple themes there throughout, and and one of them that I really like is it's a mentor or networking, and and how, even how we met was we met at a seminar, kind of hit it off, and we didn't talk a whole lot at the seminar, but we exchanged numbers, and then we started our you know we did biweekly calls for a little bit and kind of started our own community. And that kind of rolled into, well, if this is working with Ryan and I talking all the time, you know, that's kind of how left field investors came about was I need a community and I need people to, to learn from. So did you just kind of stumble into these mentors or I know the one, the first one you sought out, but when you're in the mortgage industry, you found one and then you found a community. So is that kind of how you keep progressing as you keep finding different mentors or different communities to teach you something new or help move you forward? And then also, you're in the other role when you're kind of a teacher that also helps educate you, right? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, like you said, that first mentor that I had, uh, I sought out, but we, we connected. And so I think part of that is mutual or common interests, right? So I had the interest in real estate. I had an interest in investing. And so 
when I was in the mortgage industry, those were a natural connection between he and I. He was he was an experienced investor, and I was I was the new guy, and so he and I naturally connected over what we were both interested in. And so, you know, I think that there's a part of that, but also being proactive, you know, me reaching out to him when I saw that that was an interest of his or at the networking level, making sure that I that I took the steps necessary to go out and go to a meetup, go to a networking event, because you and I probably both experienced the same thing is, you know, money and investing is not necessarily the first topic that you bring up with friends and, and coworkers. And so, those conversations don't naturally happen if, if you don't seek them out. But when you reach reach out through the right networks or find a community, uh, you're able to find that it's it's much more common than it would otherwise seem, you know, at your at your local friend and, and family level. Yeah, and I think when we met and, and started chatting, it was just uh, validating, right? Because I found somebody else who's doing some of the same stuff I am, and it just it just makes you understand that okay, you're on this path that, as you said, neighbors and friends are looking at you like. Like you're out in left field, right? Like you're you're crazy. And then when you find somebody who has the same interests and wants to talk about this stuff and is also, you know, writing checks or sending wires for large amounts of money, it just gives you a little bit more confidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I thought of too. One of the blogs that I've written for left field investors is you're doing what in real estate? And I can remember that when I first bought that property in Indianapolis in Kansas City several years ago. Anybody who I talked to about that just through organic conversation was just had that look on their face. Like, you're, you're doing what? You've never been there before. You're doing what? And so when you meet people who are doing what you're doing, you're right. It is, it's validating. And that's something that I think as we get into a new, just a new thing that we're in, that we look at, it is validating to have somebody else who's doing it. And that's, that's one of the reasons why you and I connected going, Hey, this is new to me and it's new to you, but we're both, we're both doing the same thing. And so that sense of community and, and networking is, is huge and is probably why I'm, is absolutely a, a reason why I'm here today with, with left fielders and why I'm still doing what I'm doing, feeling that valid, those validation checkpoints along the way. So how has left field investors, if it has, has it changed how you invest? I know for me, when it first started, it was one of those things where we didn't have a whole lot of experienced investors. And I thought I would be teaching people. And I found out that even though I was teaching inexperienced people, I ended up learning much more than I thought I would. And the, the community, as it grows, is really helping me become a better investor. Have you found that? And, and if so, what, what has changed about the way you invest since you've kind of start, helped start this group? You know, I think one of the things that I've found for me is that, you know, we all have our natural strengths and weaknesses. And I've found that I'm not a real in the weeds detail kind of guy. I'm more of a gut instinct, get get my comfort level and then go and do the proper amount of research and due diligence to feel like I'm making the right decision. But on the other end of the scope, you've got someone in our group like Steve. Steve is very detailed. Steve is uh, going to look at every every nuance that there is to a deal. And that's a weakness that I have. So even just a connection like that and among some of the other members that we have and the, the other founders. I'm learning every single day, even as many syndications as I've been in. I'm learning in a new way to look at something, new syndicators that I've never invested with or been introduced to before. So I think for several different reasons that left field investors has really kind of strengthened my knowledge and and helped me identify what I should be looking into that I had had not been looking into all along. That's a great point, you know, because I think I'm kind of similar to you where I kind of just think, okay, this makes sense to me. 
maybe I trust the sponsor. I like the market. And then they have a deal and I'll just jump into the deal where, especially once we've started talking to Steve and to Sean, they're both kind of put the brakes on. Let's, let's get into this deal a little bit, which can help save guys like you and me from maybe getting into a few deals that maybe we shouldn't, but it also helps Sean and Steve and guys like that maybe get into something and get a little bit out of their comfort zone. So I think for all of us, that's the value of the community is everybody gets out of their comfort zone a little bit, which enhances everybody's end result. So I, I really like that thought. So you mentioned talking to your wife when you were doing the turnkey, how many properties do you need to replace your income? And that was kind of when you figured, okay, this this can't really scale without a whole lot of work. And right now I'm in the process of selling all of my turnkey properties because although they're passive, they are not passive enough for what I want right now. But I know you are still investing and still buying single family homes turnkey, and you have a plan to keep growing that. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that is going to fit in with your passive, more passive syndication type investments? Yeah, I've kind of reset my thinking too a little bit about the single family or or small multifamily versus passive syndication. So I think one of the major things that I, I really think is a big benefit of real estate, direct real estate investment, is the five faceted returns that you can get owning single family or small multifamily. So the easiest way to get those returns is by having access to a commercial loan. And so locking in that debt over 30 years is a massive long-term benefit to me. So my initial plan, and it'll take quite a while, is to max out the loan allotment that we have under a Fed or Penny Fed guidelines. So when you look at that, my wife and I can both qualify for 10 mortgages apiece. Obviously, that'll take a while and we still have to qualify. But that is kind of our my long-term goal with single family and small multifamily investments is to get to that max allotment of our Fannie Freddie mortgages. But along the way, I want to make sure that I'm still growing my syndication portfolio because I see that that's definitely where the passive nature is maximized for both return and time invested. I still think that passive syndications are the way to go. I just want to keep my eye out for deals to to also be uh, open to growing that direct ownership portfolio too. That makes sense. And not not to put you on the spot, but you did mention the five ways that you can earn income or that that you make money investing in single families. Can you tell us what those five ways are? That's a great question. So the five ways for direct ownership, and you also get these in other ownership too, but five ways you get it through direct real estate ownership is cash flow on a monthly basis. You get loan pay down over the course of your loan. Taxes are a big benefit. Appreciation is one that I never count on, but it's also in there. And then a fifth one that isn't often talked about that I've heard in the podcasting world is the inflation erosion of debt over time. So over 30 years, your mortgage payment today is going to be made easier and easier every year by that inflation adjustment. Your dollars are going toward the same amount of that principal pay or that mortgage payment. And over time, that payment gets easier and easier over the course of 30 years, certainly. Well, you passed the test. I put you on the spot and you nailed it. So good job on that. <laughs> uh, so I want to switch gears just a little bit. And TribeVest is one of the sponsors of our show. And that is not the reason I'm bringing this up. But I would like to talk about tribes because you and I are in a tribe together. And I just wanted to ask, 
What do you think of how we're doing? Can you explain a little bit about the tribe we're in? Explain why we set it up. And then tell me if that's changed anything as far as how you look at investing in syndications. And, and would you do another tribe or is this the only one you need? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think when you and I first started talking after we met down in Phoenix that time, we talked about how we like diversification across syndications. But for anybody, you know, even at the minimum level, that gets to be a big chunk of change to put down on an investment and not just do one or two or, or however many a year. So as we were talking, you introduced me to the concept of TribeVest and partnering with other people who, who have the same mentality, getting aligned. And then you and I talked about wanting to be able to have that diversification to get into more syndication deals, but also diversify across either different asset classes or different markets or different syndicators. And I think that TribeVest has been a, the perfect solution to that. And as you know, I've been able to bring some friends and family in along with us to help them, one, introduce them to the passive real estate syndication world, and then two, to allow all of us a, a much more manageable way to diversify across different syndications. And so I don't have a plan now for getting into more TribeVest uh, groups, but I think that that's certainly something that I'm open to down down the road as I start to further explore the syndication world. Yeah, and I think what was interesting about the tribe that we started was we had one sponsor, our favorite sponsor, right? And, you know, they do 12 to 15 deals a year at $25,000 minimums. Well, that's a lot for one person to handle. And you don't know which deal is going to be the great deal and, and which ones are just going to be the good deals. So it's really hard to pick and choose. And we decided, well, let's not pick and choose. Let's just go all in and invest in every deal. And we could do that if we could lower the minimums through group investing. And so that's been really powerful. And I think I realized maybe you did too, because we've changed it a little bit. We agreed to go in for every deal that that sponsor did. And then we realized we're getting great diversity of geography because they're doing different places, but we're not getting diversification of the asset class or the operator. So that was year one. At the end of year one, we did a self-storage deal. So we got some asset class diversification. And now we're also doing other sponsors. We've opened it up a little bit. We're not so strict as we're just going to go in on these deals, which has kind of allowed us to, to grow and, and get that diversification. That's one thing I've learned is that diversification isn't just asset class, but it's sponsor and, and everything else. So how do you look, not just in your tribe, but overall, when you look at your passive syndications, how are you trying to diversify? And have you changed that at all based on the experience you had with our tribe? Yeah. And I would say in combination of both the tribe that we formed and with left field investors, I really ascribe to one of the tenets of left field investors, which is no like and trust. And you know, kind of like going to the restaurant and ordering the same thing on the menu because you know it's good. I kind of fell into that with the syndication sponsors that I had gotten involved with. And so I think through the tribe and then through left field investors, you know, I realized that there's much more out there than what I had been exposed to already. And so I've really opened myself up to wanting to further diversify. The first year was let's diversify across deals or markets with that same sponsor. And now it's grown to, hey, maybe self-storage or another asset class is something that we need to be exposed to. And that creates even further diversification, again, spreading those minimums across multiple people. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think between what I've learned through left field investors and, and that first year with our tribe, 
absolutely it's changed what I what I look for in in new deals and diversification. There was a great post in the forum. I think you saw that uh, in our in our left field investors forum where someone asked how many deals is too many. Where if you're in the stock market, you have a basket of stocks. They say once you get past eighteen or twenty, you know what's the point of adding another one? And he asked the same question for syndications. And I think everyone had a little different take on it, but could you give me your your answer to that question? How many is too many? Or is there a number? That's a great question. And I don't know that I have a perfect answer to that other than you're probably right. As it was answered in the forum is probably what you're going to get. If you ask 10 people, you'll probably get 10 slightly different answers. I like to look at it as this is my forward-looking investment strategy. And so just like my 401k, I'm dollar cost averaging on my way in. So unless I see a dramatic shift in the marketplace or dramatic shift with a sponsor or a dramatic shift in an asset class or the economy overall, I want to keep moving forward in a dollar cost average type methodical way. So as a deal exits, I'll get into another one or as funds are available, I'll get into another one. And over time, you know, as we learned in this first year with TribeVest or as I'm learning with left field investors, I think that not trying to time anything, just like you wouldn't the market, I like to have liquidity available to go in with a tribe or at a minimum level on anything that I see that's feasible and reasonable from a deal standpoint going forward. So I don't think I have a maximum. I'm sure that at some point, almost like turnkey real estate deals, you'd find out where it's maybe not worth going deeper into. But at this point, I think that it's a, it's a, such a manageable and scalable way to invest that I don't I don't see that I have a, a perfect answer for a maximum. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think I, I'll probably find out from my tax accountant shortly right. uh, when he gets all these K ones. <laughs> he thinks it's a <laughs> that he probably thinks it's too many. But um, I like how you said DCA the the dollar cost averaging into the syndications because that that's really what it is. Although in the stock market you might be doing it at much smaller amounts here. You know, you're putting in 25 or 50 grand for each different investment. Can you talk? And I've asked this before to passive investors. How did you get the courage that first time to send a wire or cut a check for 25 or 50 grand to a person that, you know, you've met on the phone a few times and, and now you've talked about the deal with them maybe, but you're just sending them this large amount? And, you know, most people don't send that much money anywhere unless they're buying a house to live in which is much more local. So can you talk a little bit about how you got the nerve up to, to do that and how comfortable you are with it now? Well, ideally, I would have gone backwards, right? So I would have started with knowing there are other people that I know that are investing and knowing that they're also investing in that same deal and kind of taking the steps backward that I've taken in, a, in the forward trajectory. But I think that one, I did enough research to get that gut feeling that, that I was comfortable I think two is the track record of, of that sponsor. Feeling comfortable with, we talk about the feeling comfortable first with the sponsor, second with the market, and third with that particular deal. And I think that I looked into those three things and I got a comfort level that I felt comfortable with. And as with anything, if you're, I don't know what the saying is, if you're 80% sure you're sure, that's as positive as you'll get. And, and I know that I probably never feel 100% confident. Uh, and know that that's really impossible to get that sure 100% confidence. So I think getting to that point where you feel confident and comfortable with all the research you've done and knowing that you're not going to learn what you, what you're not going to learn without doing 
is kind of the point that I got to. So I can't say that I felt totally comfortable, but I was comfortable enough to know that I, I can take that next step and, and do that first investment. I think, and you, you nail it there too, you know, it's, it's the power of community and it can be left field investors, the community we're in, or a different community of, of like-minded people who are kind of doing the same thing. But when you see somebody else who's gotten into a deal and, and you know that it's gone well, and maybe they're a year into it, or maybe they're a couple years into it, and now you get in with the same sponsor, that gives you some comfort that, okay, they're going to you know, be good stewards of, of my money and, and all of that. And I think that's the thing I was searching for. And I first found it with you. And then when we started Left Field Investors, I found it with others, is that when I find out that somebody else is investing in the same deal, the same sponsor, or even the same market that I am, it just kind of makes me feel like, okay, I'm on the right track. I'm doing something right. So I think you nailed it there with the power of community. So you talked about you're looking to replace your W-2 income or supplement your W-2 income. But can you also talk about how passive investing in syndications has affected your retirement plan or how you're going to, when you retire, how are you going to distribute money and, and how you're going to get cash flows? Are you using syndications as a big part of that? Yeah. My goal or our goal, we still both enjoy what we do for our career, but I know that one of the things that gives us a little bit of safety and security at night is knowing that we we're building a path toward flexibility or optionality. And so it isn't necessarily that we're trying to hit a specific goal by a specific time. It's to continue to build that comfort level, either by necessity or by desire that we want to change something in our life. And so building that path to passive income was the reason I initially got started with real estate investing, because I finally got to the point where I was able to change my mindset from accumulation of cash over time. And then hopefully that pile of cash is, is big enough in the, in the retirement days that we can live off of to changing it to not accumulation, but working to build different streams and multiple streams of income. And so that's where passive syndication has really been able to give us scalability and then also uh, to build that, start to build that trajectory for the passive income that we want at some point down the road. And, I know that we probably all have different goals for when we want to hit or hit those numbers. But uh, for me, it's really just building that and then reinvesting that. We're not using any of that capital or returns to live off of. We just keep reinvesting that. And so hopefully that'll accelerate the velocity of, of that money over time to build that at a faster pace. That's great. You know, you mentioned a couple of things there that basically you're instead of accumulating cash, you're accumulating assets that produce the cash. So what happens in retirement, instead of having to use that cash and make sure that you maintain a high principal balance so you don't erode your, your nest egg, right? You're just going to let your nest egg coast and produce income for you, right? And then before you get there, you're going to use the velocity of money, which is perhaps getting some of your capital back and redeploying it and just kind of making, keep going through that cycle. So it just it just snowballs. And I think one of the things that I really like about this approach is that in retirement, instead of taking 4% returns off of whatever cash you've amassed, you can take 8% or 10% because that's the cash flow that's coming off of the asset and you don't even have to touch the asset at all. So I think that's a great way to look at it. So switching gears a little bit, Ryan, when you look at a sponsor, can you talk about some of the things that you ask, or maybe not specific questions, but just how do you vet a sponsor 
and make sure that there's someone that you want to move forward with on an investment. We'll go back again to that one of those tenets of left field investors, which is no like and trust. And again, you know, I'm not a, an in the weeds detail type of guy. So I really have to get that gut feeling right off the bat that, that when I'm talking to them and the promises that they're making or the over promises, over commitments that they make, that doesn't give me a sense of comfort. So when I'm going through our deals or our sponsor screener, I'm asking all the questions that are on that, but I really get a sense of the track record and how consistent they are and that they've refined their approach to the point where they know that this is something that'll work and we're not trying something different. We're not, we don't have the shiny object syndrome that I still suffer from. I want someone who knows what they're doing that has a proven track record to do that and that they know that they've got a system in place over that three to five to seven year period that is known to them and will produce those same results. And so along with a gut instinct, I think that really just going through that and making sure that they are confident. One of the questions too that I really like to ask is the worst deal, right? Everybody's got, everybody's got a nightmare. Even if it was a good deal, we're still learning lessons. And so that was one thing I learned early on with one of the syndicators that I invested with is I heard one of their bad deals or one of their less than pro forma deals and they pivoted and they, they refined their business model to make sure that what they did going forward accounted for that. And that's one of the things that I really like to ask and get a sense of rather than just trying something over and over again is refining that process. And really at the end of the day, they are able to produce similar results by refining their process and knowing exactly what they're getting into and how to make it profitable for the investors. I like that. You know, they have to be authentic enough to acknowledge their mistakes and then smart enough to learn from their mistakes. And if you can dig that out, you know, that could give you some confidence moving forward. And so the next step, you know, you mentioned it, we look at the sponsor, then we look at the market. So when you get to the deal, can you talk about, I know we have the deal analyzer that has all kinds of metrics uh, through left field investors that you can look at. Can you talk about maybe some of the, the top metrics that you would look at on a deal to make sure that this is the right deal for you? I think one of the things that I, that I trust is that that syndicator has done their, that underwriting on that deal ahead of time. So I do like to know that the market is, is in a high growth, high job growth type market. But I think that for me, simply looking at filtering my options, I like the cash on cash. You know, we're talking again about building that passive stream of income. So I like cash on cash. I like the equity multiple too. You know, what, what's, and, and that also kind of in turn goes to uh, what I've learned now through left field investors is IRR partitioning. You know, I won't do near as good a job as Steve of explaining what that means, but it does give you that sense of safety and security and which what's more of a home run shot and what's more of uh, the slow and steady wins the race type of deal where there's cash flow and you know what you're getting into rather than just going into it for the sale, anticipated sale proceeds. And so those are some of the three higher level deals that are higher level metrics that I look at. This is Whitney Soul from LifeBridge Capital. You are listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. Another question for Travis Smith, the founder of TribeVest. Travis, I often talk about group investing and how it can ease someone into passive investing because they're investing with other people. Can you talk about the power of groups and how TribeVest can help new investors get started in syndication investing? I love this question because it reminds me of why we started TribeVest. My brothers and I 
saw real estate as a way to hack wealth without having to give up our day jobs. And despite not having any real estate investment experience, we found confidence as a tribe and that we'd be making decisions together. We were up for the adventure. We valued the idea of learning and growing together. But we had a more obvious problem than lack of experience. We lacked capital. We had good incomes, but didn't have the lump sums of money to break into syndicate investing. We each committed to contributing $500 monthly. And that was our breakthrough. As a tribe, the capital added up fast. And it wasn't long before we had our first experience in true wealth building. We were now part owners of a physician's office building in beautiful Pasadena, California. And we've been building wealth ever since. So yes, TribeVest is a great tool for people to ease into passive investing because it makes it so easy. And it helps you take the most important step, the first one. If you start pulling capital, the deals will come. Jim, we realized that if our tribe could do it, any tribe could. By forming and funding our investor tribe, we secured a future we could have never imagined. It really did change our lives. Well, we'll be getting into the uh, IRR partitioning with, uh, with Steve. Steve's one of the founders of Leftfield Investors, and he'll be on a podcast in the future, and he'll, he'll dig deep into that. So um, that, that is, that's one that I'm starting to look at more. I didn't understand it before. And every time I talk to Steve, I get it a little bit more. And that, again, it comes back to community, right? Before we started, we all talked about, before we started Leftfield Investors, we all talked about how we would do the sponsor screening we would look at the market, but when it came to the deal, we would all look through these pro formas and look through these executive summaries, and we didn't really know what we were looking at. And we've read some books and you know, we've learned some stuff, but we still kind of just went along with it. And now that we have a tool that we can use to analyze and make sure that it hits all our metrics, that's really helpful. And then when you dig into it, knowing that, okay, I have these three or four most primary metrics, if the deal hits those, then you're comfortable moving forward because you've checked all the other boxes, right? Yeah. And I think that that's one thing too, that I really never dove into before is all the metrics that we have on that deal analyzer really gives you a sense of, is this a reach for this, for this sponsor? Or is there a reach for my investment objectives and criteria? And I think that that deal analyzer does a really good job of laying all the stuff up. I never really took the time to dig through before. Uh, and it's a really helpful to to just kind of give that maybe like what you said, how did you get into that first deal? That gives you that that over the mark deal that says, OK, this is this is a, another good one to get into. Right. Because as we've talked about, we don't really want to re-underwrite the deal. That's the job of the sponsor. I don't want to be a full full on underwriter, but I do want to just check the boxes and make sure that, you know, the the sponsor who I now know, like and trust is looking at a deal and understands it. And And the really nice thing is when you have a couple of gives you pointed questions you can ask, right? If something doesn't meet the metrics, you can ask the sponsor. And then the best part is you get to see their response, which really tells you if they know their own deal. I mean, have you has that given you some confidence when you come back to the sponsor with questions and then they say, oh yeah, here's, here's the answers? Yes. And uh, even additional to that, I think that this gives you that, like you said, that additional level of comfort that, hey, if, we're, if, if they're dodging questions, that gives you an indication that, that something's off here. Or if, if there's something that in the deal analyzer that turns red, for instance, and, and you have a question, 
if they can't explain it right off the bat, it's off their radar too. So whether it's transparency and having good communication with that sponsor, or just having that confidence that if there's something that doesn't quite fit for one reason or another in our analyzer, that they know about it, they're aware of it, and it's not totally off their radar, that's going to be something that comes up to write the check. And right. so that definitely has given me uh, an additional tool in our tool bag to really understand the sponsor and the deal. At the end here, I always like to ask one question because I am a huge listener of podcasts. So can you tell me a great podcast that you listen to? And you can pick one that's uh, business related. And if you want, you can throw in one that's not. But, you know, we're kind of focused on real estate and business. So at least one of those. Yeah, I might uh, take a little liberty and give you a couple extra. Excellent. These are some that I've that I've gone back to for a long time, kind of in the real estate pod or real estate syndication or real estate in general sphere. I really like uh, the Wealth Formula podcast with Buck Joffrey. Kathy Fetke, who turned, uh, who introduced me to, to Turnkeys, has a really great real estate news for investors. That's a short five to seven minute deal that you can listen to, and it just kind of gives you an update on where the market's headed, so that you can stay ahead of uh, ahead of the trajectory and some of the things that are real important factors in the real estate market. And then outside of uh, outside of real estate, I really like the Brendan Show, the Brendan Burchard Show. He's he's a kind of a personal uh, personal development type coach, and he has short little episodes and some longer episodes, but I think he puts out real quality material that I like to listen to. That's great. Well, thank you, Ryan. This has been fantastic. We appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. What a great conversation with Ryan. It really reminded me of a lot of the conversations he and I have had over the past couple of years, we've done uh, bi-weekly calls and just great guy to talk about passive investing and, and just strategies overall. Part of what we wanted to do in this podcast is include experiences and journeys of actual passive investors. And Ryan definitely fits that model. Uh, he went from you know, accidental landlord to single family turnkeys, which he's still doing. And now he's really digging into the passive investing. And it's fun to be on the journey with him. He and I are very similar as we used meetups and events to build our network and find a community. He discussed using the strength of those in your community to overcome your weaknesses. What a powerful message that is to be able to acknowledge your weaknesses and find complimentary people to smooth over your own rough spots. As a point of clarification, we mentioned Sean and Steve. Those are co-founders of Leftfield Investors with us, and they are the super analytical guys which pairs nicely with Chad, one of the other founders, Ryan and me. We're the three who might be more apt to chase the squirrel every time we, we see one. And so all five of us complement each other in different ways. It's been great working with this team to help each other become better investors. And our goal now is to use that same sense of community and working together to build our left field investors into a place where you can go to find like-minded investors who help get you started or keep you going. Ryan has been a, a crucial member of our team and was happy to have him on the podcast. And we'll have the rest of the gang on at some point as well. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.